uh, Abby and I got to know our neighbors that live behind us, um, kind of um, our, share our back fence with us and uh, about four years ago. And as we did that, um, I don't know how this goes for you. I've talked about these neighbors a, a, a few times if, if you've been around, uh, but uh, we've known them for about four years now. And uh, I don't know how you meet the neighbors in, in your world, whether that's across the hallway, an apartment, a condo building, or a dorm, or if it's next door in a neighborhood, um, or down the street, or whatever it might be. But when, when you get to know neighbors, there's, there's kind of this, for some of you, you're just really good people. And it, when a new neighbor moves in, you go and meet them right away, and you introduce yourself and say, welcome to the neighborhood. There's others of us that aren't as good as you, and it takes us uh, several months to calculate when the right moment is to, to get that first conversation off the ground and that you, during that time we're kind of assessing or judging, but assessing and, and just watching them and kind of keeping an eye on them and how is this going to work? When's, when's the right time to, to do it? When do I have the time and energy to do it? When do I have the, the, the first thing to say? How, how's that going to start out? You know, there's a little bit of like middle school and adult world there. Like how does this go and we get to know each other? And, and for us that happened on a sunny day four, year, four and a half years ago. And uh, we were, Abby and I were in the backyard. Um, our neighbors were in the backyard, husband and wife. And, uh, and after just so many times of kind of catching each other's eye, um, we finally went, okay, this is the moment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break through this awkwardness right now and go, okay, we've kind of been watching each other for like six months now. And we're not the best neighbors in the world. Okay, get over it. Let's just get to know each other. Kind of, that's about how the conversation started. So, hey, got to know each other, started talking, and then they came over for dinner and we went over there for dinner. And, uh, and as that happened, Immediately, what we started doing was exchanging stories. And this happens anytime you get to know another person. If you're going to build a friendship and um, get to know somebody, you, you start exchanging stories. Where have you been? What have you done? What are you doing now? What do you hope to do even in the future? How did you guys meet? What, you know, um, one of them was married before and, and, and had kids. And okay, well, what was that like? And how did you guys uh, get connected? And how, what brought you to this part of town? What brought you to this town? And here, this is who we are. And um, these other people running around in our backyard are our kids. And this is who they are. And we started sharing stories and getting to know each other. And what happens is you, you kind of pull back on your life and go, okay, this is who we are. And these are our experiences and our, our stories. If anyone you get to know you get to know them through exchanging stories and experiences. The Bible is a lot of things, but what it is primarily as God's word is God's introduction to us of him telling us about who he is, about his story. This is his story, and this is how he chooses to tell it. And as we start off into this, this story, which we've called a year of, of rediscovering Jesus, and that we, wanna, we wanna dive regularly and deep into scripture and to get to know God and get to know Jesus in a new way this year. And we're starting in Genesis. This, this is God introducing himself to us and telling his story the way that he wants us to hear it first. And in the very first words and sentences of the book of Genesis, of the first book of all of the Bible, God is saying, here's the story I want you to know about me. And so we're going to pick it up there. And, and it starts, and again, this is probably familiar for, for many of us, but maybe not all. But the, the Bible starts in this way. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The beginning, another way of saying that is our beginning. So here's, here's God introducing himself and saying, Here's the story I want, to, want you to know about me as we get to know each other. That there's a beginning, but it's your beginning. 
You're beginning as, as this creation, as this created order, as, as humanity. I was already around. In the beginning, God, God already was. God was there before our beginning of any way that we can conceive of or measure or understand time and existence. God already was. He's above and beyond that, that God already was here. And so he's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm first. I'm here. I'm not created. I've always been. We don't have a math equation to figure that out, really. I've always been. And at the beginning of everything, I already was. And the first thing I want you to know about me, God says, if we're going to get to know each other, is that I'm a creative, creating God. I just am creative and I create. That's what I do. That's the first thing I want you to know about me. In the beginning, God created. And he started with the heavens and the earth. That that's what he does. There's a... uh, As this story is God introducing himself to us, one of the things it does, and that's just one verse, and there's goes throughout the rest of of the Bible, which which ultimately is a a story. There's a lot of books and letters and different kinds of writings and different genres and, and all in this piece of literature, but it's a story that God is revealing himself, ultimately pointing us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what the story is all about. And as God introduces himself in the beginning, God creates and is creative. God created the heavens and the earth. What he's doing in introducing himself to us is he's actually helping us understand our bearings of where we are and what's going on. Um, there's, a, there's an author that is, is one, of, uh, one author I just deeply have, have appreciated over the years. He's probably one of my, one of my favorite authors. Um, he was a, a missionary from England to India. So he's, he's British missionary going to India to, to tell people about Jesus. And he, he spent 40 years there, spent a majority of his life there and raised his children there. Um, and uh, his name is Leslie Newbegin. And one of the things I like about him is that his name is Leslie. And so I think we all should like him just because his first name is Leslie. So Leslie Newbegin spent 40 years in India. And one of the, the friends that he, friendships he developed there was a Hindu scholar, a Hindu scholar of world religions, but this, this learned, educated man and as he got to know him and, and, and share Jesus with him and, and share the Bible with him, and there's no record of him ever coming to faith in Jesus, but this, this Hindu scholar got to know, know Leslie Newbegin, and as I, as I talked, and he, he, he said this to him. He, he said this. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen to these words. Hindu scholar talking to Leslie Newbegin says this. I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It's not a book of religion. And anyway, we have plenty of books of religion in India. We're good. We've got infinite gods. We've got plenty of books about them. And so we're, we're good when it comes to religious books. I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole of creation and the history of the human race. And therefore, a unique interpretation of the human person as a responsible actor in the history, in history. That's unique. There is nothing else in the whole of religious literature of all the world to put alongside it. Listen to that for a moment. Your book isn't a book of of religion. It's a history book. It's, it's, it's a history book of, of universal history. It, this book claims, starting in this first sentence, in this first verse, this book claims 
to, to frame all of our understanding of being and existence and the created order of everything. This is claiming to have a universal story that explains itself, that explains everything. And not just that, but, but specifically to the human race, to, to us, to people. Now, are there other options? Are there other books? Are there other ways of thinking about that? Other philosophies and faith systems and religions? There absolutely are. But a Hindu scholar is saying, it's not just a religious book. It's claiming to explain human history and history of everything that's ever been. That's a claim. That's what, that's what this book is claiming. So, so God, from the very beginning, saying, if we're going to get to know each other, I want you to know a couple things. I was here before you, and I create. That's what I do. And I'm going to introduce to you a way of understanding everything that is. That's something that we're thirsting for and longing for, that we all always have that going on. Now, now often, we, we don't think about it very grand terms. We think about it in pretty, pretty limited terms. And why? Well, because our lives are complicated and, and challenging and difficult and maybe painful and busy and exciting, and there's a lot going on. And so we, we tend to think of, of our own lives and try to make sense of, of about this far out. But this first verse of this book, of this story that explains claims that interpretation of universal history goes much, much bigger for everything and says this is what is. This is how to understand it all. Hindu scholar says that to this guy whose name is Leslie as he's, he's trying to explain Jesus in a, foreign, uh, con- in, a, in a foreign context of India where very, very few people know the name of Jesus and says this is, is different. Verse 2 is that now that the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we've got water, and then we've got a bunch of formless stuff, and it's empty, and there's not. So what we have is we have heaven over there. God doesn't talk more about that right now, but in the second verse, he talks about earth and says, this is what is. And he, and he describes earth as formless and empty. Those aren't great, those aren't great terms. That's not, a, that's not a place that any of us would go and visit. We're not going to go on vacation to formless and empty earth. There's not a lot going on there. And what it is, is it's, this is what is, and then he's going to create something out of it. There, there, there's formless and empty. It, it's not, but as we see in the very next verses, he's, he begins to create something with this thing that already is. There's water in there, there's darkness, but it's formless and empty. Uh, other words are, it's, it's kind of a waste because it's not been created yet. It's, it's void. There's nothing going on there. It says this in verse, in verse 3. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. Which, that's just a fantastic sentence. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we've got who, really important, God. God's saying that. I'm, I'm at the center of everything. I was before it all. Who is really important? And then how. And God says, this is how I created. Now, we've got a ton of other questions about how we got here, don't we? God doesn't provide all of them here. He doesn't provide answers to all the questions we have. What he wants us to know about how we got here is a very, very simple. It's, it's limited. It's, it's significant, though. He spoke it. God, God just spoke it. I cannot read this grand first act of God creating in verse 3 without thinking of my own home and my existence as a parent. Because I wish this would happen in my own home when I speak. Let there be a clean kitchen. Let there be quiet. Let there be obedience to when I speak and whatever comes out of my mouth next, just do it. Let there be and then there was. I wish I could create in this way in my own home 
and I don't have that power very often. I think there has been a time where it's happened instantaneously when I said, let the dishes be done, and then they did them. And it was probably because I was sick and ill and tired and mom whispered, hey, just do that for your dad. But on a regular basis, it doesn't happen as, as, as cleanly as it, as it does for God. The God says, do you want to know how you got here? Let, let, me, let me tell you. Come into my science class and sit down. You got a question? Let me tell you. I spoke it. Now, we've got a lot of other questions and he doesn't answer it. But what he says is, I spoke it. When you and I speak, we have tremendous power, don't we? Our words, our mouths, our capacity as human beings to form words and to communicate has phenomenal power. And we know this because we've, we've seen its impact on those around us, those we know and those that we don't know. That when we say something to another person and we've watched their face change, sometimes it lights up. Sometimes a smile comes and the eyes light up. And we know the opposite as well, that we have the power with our words to crush someone's spirit in a moment. That we have positions and roles in our lives, and when we speak or type and communicate something, that something happens, something gets done. Somebody gets up and moves from this place over to that place. Somebody goes to a machine and gets something done. Something picks up and carries it over there. Things happen when we speak, and we have tremendous power with our words. And we have to be careful with that. We have to steward that well and manage it well and be self-controlled with our words and our communication. And as powerful as we are in our, our words, it doesn't even begin to compare to God's word when he speaks. There was a time when there was formless and empty void of a planet where there was darkness and water and God spoke, and there's light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. He just created the first day. God speaks, and he creates things. That's the first day. There's, we, we begin to, to move out of this this, whatever this was, this formless and empty void of a, of a planet. Um, Abby and I, uh, when we were coming up on our 15th wedding anniversary, we began to dream about something uh, to, to do to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. And we ended up getting to go on a, a wonderful trip, um, a, kind, of a, kind of a once in a lifetime trip for us. We, uh, we got to go to Rome. It was amazing. It actually occurred, it actually happened somewhere in our 18th year of marriage, but it was, it was for our 15th and it just took us a couple years to get there, but we got to go on this kind of once in a lifetime trip. It was about two, two and a half years ago, I think. And uh, we, we got to go to Rome um, and spend, I think we were there for about six days. And one of those days we took a, we took a train ride up to Florence, uh, Florence, Italy, known for its art. Um, specifically for uh, Michelangelo. And we went to a, a Galleria, and I, I forgot the name of it, and somebody told me how to pronounce it, and now I, I'm blank. That one, Yathuzi. Let's back that up. We went to Galleria Athuzi. Are you all right? Okay, good, good. I wanted to appear really, really smart when I said that. So 
we went to that Galleria, and in that Galleria was a, a, a number of uh, works of Michelangelo and, 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 and David, if you're familiar with that, one of the most famous ones uh, is there. There's also these other works of, of Michelangelo there, and uh, one of them is a series of works that, was, that he was commissioned to, to sculpt out of stone, and uh, they were to be the 12 disciples. It was, they're known as the apostles. And uh, he started work on, on the first one. He decided to start with, with St. Matthew. And as he started to work on it and, and got maybe, maybe in the ballpark of halfway done, he got a better offer. And the Pope said, hey, I want you to sculpt some things for my tomb. Come back to Rome and, and work here. And so he left unfinished, not just all the apostles, but even just the first one wasn't even completed, St. Matthew. And here's a picture of it. And, and what this is, if you've not seen this before, it's, it's, the, it's a stone with the beginnings of what would be St. Matthew's, but it's just the front side of it. And he's still in the stone, and, and you can see some of it is polished and some of it is not, and clearly the, the stone is not yet carved away from, from what ultimately it was, it was the finished work would look like, and so it's an unfinished St. Matthew. But what we have is this, this stone, which is, is like our, our planet before God really got to work on it. It's formless and void, or it's a square piece of stone. And, and Michelangelo begins to create out of that this vision that he has, this idea that he has, this, this work that he's creating. But it's, it's not done. But you can see it begin to come out of the formless, empty void that is the stone. And this is the, the work that God has, is starting as we read these first few verses. Is he's creating something out of the formless void. And not only that, but as he goes on and creates, he moves from this formless void and he begins to bring order into things. And the first thing is to create light, which he says is good. But then he goes on and creates more and more order and form. And then in that puts in, in life. And these phrases show up over the next number of verses that go from, from day one all the way through day six. And it's, and, and God said, let. And that begins to be this rhythm that shows up. He speaks and things happen. And then he follows it up with looking at it and saying, it's good. Day two actually says it's so, which I don't fully understand. But all the other days say good. Day two was, was and it was so. But he declared it and it happened and he looked at it and he said, he said it's good. And, and day one was, was light. Uh, day two, he divides the atmosphere from the water on the, on the planet. Day, day three is he, he causes land to show up and then, and then it's fertile and it begins to produce vegetation. And day four, he, he separates uh, the, the moon and the stars and the, and the sun and puts light in the sky and begins to put in seasons of how time will work on this planet, on our planet. Then he puts life in the sea and in the air, creates creatures. So there's a vegetation, and then on, two days later, he begins to put creatures that are flying around and creatures that are swimming. And then on the sixth day, he puts life on, on land, creates animals. And then the pinnacle, the, the, the peak of all of creation, he creates human beings, he, he creates us. And what God is doing is over and over he's creating, he's bringing life into this creation. And something that was formless and void, he, bring, he brings form and order and life. And the way that God created life on this planet was not just to create it one time, but to design it in such a way by his hand that sustains it still today to renew life over and over and over again. And so where there's nothing, God creates something. And where there's no life, God brings life. And when life needs to be, it's, it's renewed by God. And so as we as human beings look at what's around us and are amazed at the creativity and all that God has done, what we see and what we're invited into 
is this beautiful, majestic playground that you and I are to enjoy. That God has created all of this for us to meet him in it and to enjoy it. And one of the things that we miss out is that when we look out into our world and we see the, the, the damage and the tension and the, the fight and the battle and the, the harm and the effects of sin in our world, we miss what it, what it was intended to be. That when we drive through, and fortunately we live in one of the most beautiful parts of our country, and when we drive through our city on certain points in the day and we, the clouds are just a certain time, I mean, the, the clouds are just a certain way and the, the sun is going down and there's a kind of pink that we swear we've never seen before and it just kind of stops us in our tracks and we look at it and go, that's, that's beautiful. All the artists I know and all the creatives I know, that's an inspiration to all of us. That we can't match that. That experiencing things like skiing and that's warm outside and the sun's out and we're going down the slopes or on a snowboard and just go, this is, this is a playground that we get to exist in. That God's saying, come, come enjoy this. And not just enjoy it, but we're invited to create in it as well. That we've been given the capacity to create and envision and dream up stuff. And we've been given skills and abilities to join with him in all that's created already. Some of us have the ability to, to paint things that are amazing and beautiful that others of us look at and go, how did you dream that up and, and then have the skill to do that? Others of us can write stories that spark our imagination and warm our hearts. Others of us can sing and create music that, that affect us, that impact us as human beings. But God's given us all that ability. Others of us have this ability to, to sit down at a keyboard and write code that can cause things to happen on a screen that can grab our attention for far too many hours or be far too helpful in other ways. Others of us can come into a, a situation and make connections between different people and, and help things happen where people talk and connect in a way that, that renews life and brings hope. Others of us have the ability to organize and administrate in a way that just seems mysterious and it serves humanity. That God has given us the ability to to co-create with him and to participate with him with what's going on in life. And we get to choose, are we gonna do something that's gonna help and serve humanity? Or are we gonna do something that takes away from it? When we understand that this is God's story, and he's saying, I want you to first and foremost get to know me, but then to understand where you are, it begins to shape how we view everything that's going on around us. Listen to this couple sentences. Actually, it's one long run-on sentence. Uh, it, just by coincidence, is another, another Brit, uh, British theologian. Um, but he says, when we look out at the world and see what's wrong with it, and we understand the, the context that we're coming from, that the universal story of all of human history, he says this, our concerns for pollution, our motivation to avert the ecological crisis, our anger at terrorism, and our hatred of war, our delight in beauty and our support for the arts, our fighting against the depersonalizing trends of so much modern ideology and for social and economic justice in the world, our longing to learn how to love our neighbors better. All these themes, which rightly fill the pages of much recent Christian writing, need all to be traced back to their beginnings. 
All these themes need to be traced back to their beginnings. And their beginnings are to be found in the God who makes all things and makes all things new. That we as human beings have the capacity to, to actually see and understand and feel what's broken in this world and then we're invited into God, God's work in this world to participate with him and to, to co-create with him ways that will serve humanity and partner with what he wants done in this world. And that only happens if we understand the bigger picture of where we fit in. That God has always been, that he's a creative and creating God, and that he's doing something here and now. And when we think about that and the capacity that we have, and we think about it in, in, in this season, in this year in the life of, of us as a church, that we realize that this is what God's inviting us into. That God's inviting us collectively as a community, as a church family, to, to be part of God writing a new story in us and creating something new in us. And it only happens as, as each and every one of us connect with God and have him do a new work in us and get that picture for God. You're at work in ways I don't even fully see or understand, but you're at work because all this is yours. And as we walk with him and hear him and obey him and trust him, then he's going to write a new story in us collectively. We've talked about this for, for a number of weeks and, and talked about it last week as we did a family meeting and one of the ways that we're stepping into that as a church is we're forming what's called a new story team. Uh, there's two parts to this team, a vision team and a prayer team. Uh, and people are nominating uh, one another and, and, uh, and self-nominating and filling out application. What we want to do over the next couple weeks is, is decide who that's going to be. And, and that's, a, that's a team with two parts that's going to help us create a new story. And that God's going to do and write new things through us as we make ourselves available to him. But it, it's he's not just going to do it. He's going to invite it to happen through us that we get to play a role in it, that he's actually inviting us to get our finger, fingers on it and our fingerprints all over it, that he says, I want to create this with you. I want you to be discerning and I want you to discover what I have for you, but I want you to help create it with me. And yeah, great, you've been a church for 15 years, but, but I have something new for you, God is saying. And we get to join with him in that. God's going to create something new in us because he's the God who, who makes life, and renews life over and over and over again. He says this about me and you. This is how we came to be. In verse 26, day six, then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He created us, male and female, he created us and blessed us and gave us his task to subdue and rule. And if you understand those terms in any other way than to steward this great gift that God's created, then you're missing the point. And when it says that we've been created in his image, that means a lot of things. And part of it is that, that's this calling, this job description to, to steward the created order in so many different ways. That we have the capacity in our image of God to make decisions and choices and, and moral and ethical rights and left turns. That's a human capacity that no other created thing has. And then lastly and most importantly, it's the capacity for relationship. 
And I, I want to actually end, end our time with, with reading um, a selection from a, a book that some of you are familiar with and some of you might not be. Um, but it's a book called The Velveteen Rabbit. And if you have kids, uh, you've, you've probably read this and, and received this. Um, or as in the Osborne home, I think we have four of them. Um, but it's a, it's a now well-known book. And The Velveteen Rabbit is about a, a toy rabbit that is given in a, uh, a stocking at Christmas to a young boy. And it gets put in the room after Christmas Day. And way before Toy Story, this Velveteen Rabbit is talking to the other toys and realizing that he's lower on the totem pole and that the other toys are better than him. And so he goes to one of the oldest toys in the room, which is, a, which is an old, wise, experienced skin horse. And in the nursery of all these toys, he goes to this horse and, and asks something. And he says this. The rabbit says, what is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Does it mean being like the other toys? Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But once you're real, you can't become unreal again. It lasts for always. Forgive me for using the Velveteen Rabbit to to point to Jesus. But the story of the Bible of God revealing himself ultimately points to Jesus. And Jesus, one of the things that we know about Jesus, Jesus is the true human being, that he is perfect humanity. And one of the things that Jesus invites us into and models for us is a relationship with God. And in a relationship with God, it's that we're invited to become more human, to more of who God has created us to be. It's in relationship with our creator that we become more of who we're meant to be. We become real. We're invited into that on a regular basis. And as we step into that and hear the voice of God and learn more of who God is and learn more of this story that we find ourselves in, we're given this option to join with him in this world, to be creators with him, to be creative with him, to realize that God's created us as human beings with creative capacities that are all different from each other, because it's part of his way of renewing life on this planet. We're going to continue to sing. And as we sing this last song or so, I want to invite you to come to these tables. And in these tables, God has created a way for us to, to relate to him and be in a relationship with him. Because these tables point us to and tell us again the story of Jesus giving his life and dying on the cross, conquering death and rising again. And we celebrate this and remind ourselves of this because it's, it's part of how God's inviting us to be more of who he's created us to be in the here and now, right now. So I want to invite you to join with us as we sing and to come to these tables together.